1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. Amen. We've been uh, in this series on faith and prayer, and we left off last week saying that faith will lead you where reason cannot walk. I want to give you just kind of an example of that as we begin this evening. I said Sunday that 2020 for the world is a year of curse, but 2020 for Faith Christian Center is a year of blessing. 2020 is a Malachi 3.18 year. It's a Malachi 3 manifestation year. Malachi 3.18 says, and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Not just a a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, not just a distinction between the born again and the not born again. You will see a distinction between those who serve God and those who do not. Now, this series is on faith and prayer. And what I'm telling you is, you know, sometimes I repeat myself because I suspect people aren't hearing me. They're not believing me. They're not getting it. But what I'm telling you is you can learn how to pray and you can get results. And when I say that, I think that there's kind of a default failure mechanism in a lot of people. Uh, People pray because out of a sense of duty. And I understand that. I I prayed for a long time, I'm sure, in my life out of a sense of duty. Um, People pray maybe because of guilt. I I think I've never done that. There's no point in praying out of guilt. Um, But I, I personally pray because I love the Lord and I love his word. I love spending time with him. But I pray expecting results. Now, we could go to Mark 11, we could go to John 14, we could go to John 16. Why did Jesus teach us to pray if he didn't want us to pray? And why did he teach us to pray if he didn't think we ought to get results in prayer? And let me ask this, did Jesus get results? He got results. So I think that there is kind of a default failure mechanism that why should I pray? See, why should I pray? Well, because people hailed Mary and rubbed beats and did all they did and they never got any results. Or people went to God in prayer like they were going to therapy. Well, I feel this and I feel that. I've been saved since 1960, and the Lord never one time has asked me how I felt about anything. How we feel about anything is completely and totally irrelevant. And once you adopt what they're teaching and preaching in the culture out here, and that's a victim mentality, you're not going to get anywhere with God. Because 
In fact, you're not going to get anywhere, period. You just have to throw that away, and you have to say to yourself, you got to, I remember back in the 70s, Kenneth Copeland said, ain't nothing going to happen in your life until you look in the mirror and say to the person looking back at you, you are responsible. And uh, so that's kind of what we have to do. But my point is, when I say that you can pray and be effective in prayer and you can get results, I, I, just, I just feel it. There I am talking about feelings. But it's not, a, it's not an emotional feeling. I'm not talking about a, a soulish feeling. I'm talking about a spiritual feeling that... that people aren't hearing me or they don't believe me. Let me give you an example. And this will be convicting, I know, but I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I have repeatedly given the example of going to God and asking, just uh, pick a number, whatever number, whatever you can handle, and then go to God and ask him, how much money should I sow as a seed for this number that I desire and believe him for a 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold return. Now, I've repeatedly talked about this. I would say in the last two or three years, I've, I've talked about this probably 25 times. But see, if we were to ask for a show of hands tonight on how many have done that, it'd probably be embarrassing. That's what I'm talking about. Because we don't know, by, we don't know what you believe by what you nod your head to. We don't know what you believe by what you give mental assent to. We know what you believe by what you do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, Sunday, I gave you an age-old maxim, you know, old school, that a man is his word. Well, let me give you another one, kind of a, a corresponding maxim. A man is what he does. And people, they, they don't like this. You know, they, they want to commit adultery and they say, I'm not an adulterer, I just made a mistake. No, you are what you do. You know, they want to rob a bank and say, well, I'm not a bank robber. I just, you know, one thing led to another. No, 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 you're a bank robber. See, in other words, a man is what, a man is his word and a man is what he does. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you go to Hebrews 11 after church, the Faith Hall of Fame, it's all about what they did. Moses did this. Abraham did that. Noah did this over here. It's all about what they did. It's about the actions they took. So God knew what those folks in the Faith Hall, and there weren't all men, De uh, Deborah and Rahab. But it, it's not just... It's a record of what they did, not just a record of what they believed. It's a record of what they did. And this, this is where people, this is where people miss it. About three years ago, four years ago, the Lord told me I'm out there praying. And a lot of times the Lord speaks to me when I'm praying and I'm not asking him anything. I'm, in fact, it's kind of amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm praying about this. And a lot of times he talks to me about that. And, uh, Probably the reason that happens is, well, I'm praying he has my attention. I'm not doing other stuff. I'm praying. But he told me 
that one reason I got so far down the road, this is the way he said it. He said, you did everything your fathers in the faith taught you. See, he, he didn't say, you know, your character's perfect. He didn't say, you know, you hardly ever sinned. He didn't say, you know, you're the apple of my eye. He didn't say you're my favorite. He said, you did everything and that's what he said. Now, you, you may think, oh, he's claiming something. I'm just telling you what he said. He said, you did everything your fathers in the faith taught you. See, in other words, I believed it. Have you ever heard this before here? I believed it. I confessed it. And I took action on it. All right. So we could do another survey this evening. How many here tonight, don't raise your hand, but we could do another survey here tonight. How many here have and I'm not saying you have to do it every day but how many here have taken the August 26 message and developed or adapted it to your prayer needs your prayer requests at least on one topic in other words let's say you, you let's say you're a little hesitant to go a whole enchilada and so you say, well, I'm just going to pick one thing and, and adopt this and pray this way and see if pastor knows what he's talking about. Okay, but we could do a show of hands and it'd, be, it'd probably be embarrassing. Now, where's he headed with this? Well, I want to give you a praise report. See, I'm telling you, tell your neighbor, pastor's telling you, you can get results in prayer. Tell the neighbor on the other side, pastor's telling you, you can get results in prayer. Now, on Wednesday evening, what I'm referring to is August 26. I took the evening to share with you how the Lord taught me to pray about money in February of 2018. All right, so what happened was, in January of 2018, the Lord spoke to me and told me to quit fooling around and get out of debt and pay this campus off. That was January of 2018. Now, I didn't think I was fooling around. I thought I was doing a good job. Because when, when the initial debt number, when we built this building and moved in here, the, the initial debt number in 2006 was $12.1 million. And somebody might say, Oh, my God, Pastor, why would you borrow $12 million to build a church? Because that's all they'd lend me. <laughs> Some of you are new. I see new faces. All right. So we're up there on the postage stamp, three and a quarter acres at I-30 and Northfielder Road. And this piece of land was not 55 acres. It was 47 acres. Later, we acquired another six on the southwest corner. We acquired 20-something across the road. All right. So we went from three and a quarter acres to 77 or 80 or whatever it was initially. And then we commenced to draw on this building. But we knew we didn't have enough. Anybody here? Now you can raise your hands. Anybody here ever not have enough? <laughs> we didn't have enough. So the, uh, the builder, well, every builder that bid had to bid it with alternates. So 
The, the ball fields were alternates. The two playgrounds were alternates. The third parking lot on the north side was an alternate. The third floor was an alternate. And not only that, the second floor was an alternate. So think about it. Based on the money we had, based on the history of the challenge offerings, based on the number of months we calculated it would take from commencement to move in here, even if we did not build the ball fields, we did not build the playgrounds, we did not build that north parking lot, we did not finish out the third floor, we did not even finish out the second floor, and we were still, and then borrowing every nickel they'd lend us, we were still a half a million dollars short. And so, there's a message in my car, and Dad Hagen says, he says, I have learned this principle, that when I boldly confess what I desire, then and only then do I possess. Say it out loud. When I boldly confess I boldly what, I desire, what I desire, then and only then, then, and only then do, I do I possess. And so I remember when all this, you know, because we're doing all this research, we're, we're talking to lenders, we're putting all these numbers together, these bids come back, and we were half, half a million dollars short. When I was a young man, I would say things under the anointing and I would second guess myself. But as time goes by, I've learned to trust what comes out of my mouth under the anointing. For example, in the lockdown during the Holy Week revival, I stood right up there and some crazy things came out of my mouth. But now at my age, I don't even, I don't even wonder about it. I just go with it. I believe it. I confess it, and uh, we're, we're living in it right now. We, we're living in what I confessed in April. But anyway, so back up at I-30, I, I, I stood up. I, didn't, I had no intention of saying this, but it came out of my mouth under the anointing that not only would we build the north parking lot, not only would we build the ball fields, not only would we build, uh, build out the third floor, not only, not only would we build out the second floor, but when we moved into this facility, we would have more cash on hand than the day we started. Then it was a week or two later, I mean, as if that's not a bridge too far, it was a week or two later, up there at I-30, this came out of my mouth under the anointing of God, we will not move any of this old furniture to that building. We're going to give all this furniture to whatever church buys this building, and we are going to buy all brand new furniture when we move to the new facility at 287 at Eden Road. And there's two or three sentimental pieces, uh, two pulpits and a desk and a credenza and a chair. I believe that's all that we moved. And... Uh, my point is, when, I, when you hear me say that we started out with $12 million of debt, that wasn't enough. It probably should have been 15. But anyway, it was 12. So we bridged the gap with faith, and we bridged the gap with confession. So then the Lord spoke to me in January of 2018. Now, now think about this. We had paid that debt down from $12.1 million in 2006 
So what is that? That is 11 years later, we had that paid down to $5.27 million. So I didn't think I was fooling around. I thought I was doing a good job. All this overhead. And I had that thing paid down by more than half. But he said to me, he said, it's time. He said I want you to quit fooling around and, and pay that church off. So when he told me that, we owed $5.27 million on this land and building. And this evening, Faith Christian Center owes Thank you. So go ahead and sit back down. Now we give the Lord all the credit, the glory, and the honor. But that's a long way to come. How many of you can agree with me? And, and that's paying all the overhead. Because the lights are still on, the air's still blowing. That's, and, and have you noticed nothing's falling down? All the little details are still being done, like the, we just had the parking lot restriped. So that's a long way to come in two years and 10 months. I mean, think about it. From $5.27 million, 18, 19, 20. So it'll be, it'll be shy of three years that we will have knocked out. So it took what? It took 11 years to pay the first half but it will have taken less than three years to pay the second half. Now, my point is, and, 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 the, and the, you know, like my granddaughter always wants a cherry on top. You know, I mean, whenever, I mean, she got to have the cherry on top. So to wrap this up in the year of the corona. <laughs> You know, the Chinese always label their years odd. I, I, I've wondered several, I, I haven't Googled it, but I wonder what is 2020 in China, you know? It, it's probably some, some really double cursed year or whatever. For the world, it's a year of curse. But for Faith Christian Center, it's a year of blessing. But now stop and think about it. The difference is totally based in what you believe and what you confess, and what you do. That's the whole difference. And by the way, all that money, we, we didn't borrow anything from, uh, you know, the corona government. And we don't have a printing press, so where did all that money come from? So this congregation is more blessed than it's ever been. And I, I haven't looked at it this way, but there's no doubt in my mind that 2020 will be the biggest income year for the church in the history of the church. I mean, I haven't looked at it, but it just seems to me it would have to be to do all this. Amen? Amen. 
and it's kind of humbling. But I'm going to tell it. This is the power of prayer. I wasn't praying about paying this property off. I mean, that was a goal. But like, you know, it's like one of my weight goals. You know, in other words, uh, you know, <laughs> up, down, up, down. In other words, you know, uh, it just doesn't go anywhere. But when you pray, the Lord will speak to you. And this is completely underestimated by the people of God. You've heard the story a thousand times. 1989, I was at 5 a.m. prayer. I wasn't praying, I was complaining. See there, there. You know, in other words, how much time is wasted, quote unquote, praying? I wasn't praying, I was complaining, Lord, I'm tired of not ever having any money. And he didn't say, son, FedEx will be here by 10 o'clock and there'll be, you know, a Ziploc with money. He said, son, you don't ever have any money because you never save any money. He said, save something every seven days, both personally and in the church, even if it's $5. All right. When the Lord speaks to you in prayer, that is the almighty God of heaven and earth saving your life. I'll give you another example. The year before, 1988, March of 1988, we moved in that, we moved out of the hotel into that first building up there at I-30 and Fielder Road. So in other words, I, I did it. I pioneered the church. I, I built, I bought land. I built the building. I got the church moved from the hotel into our first facility. And the month we moved in, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, from this day to your last day, I want you to walk at least four miles a day. And so I stand here tonight and I have outlived every male in my, on my father's side for three generations. And I'm convinced he saved my life. See, when the Lord speaks to you in prayer, he's life coaching you and he is saving your life. He could tell you to not date somebody again. He could tell you to start exercising. He could tell you to, uh, to give a certain amount. I don't know what he's going to tell you because these things are odd to me. But think about it. If I had not heard him, if, what if I had not been praying? What if I had refused his life coaching in 88 and refused his life coaching in 89, I would not only be dead, I, I would have died broke. Now, the power that I'm talking about from the Lord speaking to you in prayer and you believing it and confessing it and taking action on it has such incredible power it's unspeakable but that is not anywhere near the power of doing the exact same thing with the written word of God because the written word of God has got to take the preeminence in our lives sometimes people leave faith Christian center for Pentecostal weirdo churches and, and I get it I get it because I'm not very entertaining I get it. I do. You know, here tonight, I've probably already 
rubbed your fur the wrong way, given you a to-do list. In other words, I get it, I do. But I'm a results guy. I'm into results. And so when I looked at my fathers in the faith, Lester Summerall or Oral Roberts or Kenneth Hagin, how about John Osteen? Oh, my goodness. See, in other words, all these Pentecostal weirdos, they, they don't have any fruit. There are people sitting here tonight, and there's a famous Pentecostal weirdo that you follow on social media. And I asked somebody that was very acquainted with that ministry, I said, if you take out the Bible school students and you take out the busing, how many people does he really run on a Sunday morning? And he said, well, maybe 150. See, if I spent my lifetime doing something and I got 150 people, well, I'd be ashamed of myself. You might say, man, that's just, that's cold. <laughs> well, there's unspeakable power in believing it, confessing it, and doing it. First, the written word of God. See, when I say first, the written word of God, that's what cures you of Pentecostal weirdoism. Because, you know, I could have a dream and dream some crazy whatever, but I've got to take, I've got to take a word from the Lord or what I hear in prayer or a dream, whatever it is, I got to take it and I got to go to the written word of God and I've got to like proof text it against the written word of God. I got to check it out against the written word of God. I mean, I could dream tonight. I could dream tonight that the Lord is coming on such and such a day. And how many preachers over the 2,000 years have done that? The Lord's coming on such and such, a day, such and such a day. But if I take that to the written word of God, the written word of God says, no man knoweth the hour. Amen. So I just got to say to myself, you know, I ate too much cabbage, I ate too much pizza, whatever it is. In other words, that's not God. Amen. That's not God. Amen. But you can't believe over the years people have come in and told us God, God told them to leave their wife. God told them to leave their husband. You know, there's a newer, better, younger model out here. Whatever it is, you can, first of all is the written word of God. You go by the written word of God. Not theories, not ideas, not opinions, not what some preacher said. And certainly not what your loser brother-in-law has to say. So number one, we go by the written word of God. Then after that, and you got enough to do, man, getting started with the written instructions. But after that, then, you go by the leading of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing special about me. Well, he's correcting me as that comes out of my mouth. All right. So there is something special about me. But the point is that... <laughs> I'm just going by what he's saying. The point is that we did all of this following the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Vicky Gonzalez was horrified. I fired an attorney once because his shirt sleeves were frayed. 
He was sitting up there telling me this and that and the other. It was all detrimental to the church. It had to do with uh, mineral rights. And I looked at his clothes. His His suit was shiny. His shoes weren't polished. They were plastic or whatever they were. His shirt sleeves were frayed. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, why would you pay attention to somebody who obviously is not anywhere near your equal? So I said, fire him. And uh, just firing that guy probably brought the church $2 million. Oh, yeah. Follow the written instructions of the word of God. But how do you do that? You believe what it says. You confess what it says. Then you take action on what it says. Then after that, you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And you believe what God says. What, when it lines up with the written word of God, you confess what God says. And then you do what God says. Now, before 2020, I thought I knew the power of fear. But I have, been, I have become convinced in 2020 that I had no idea the power of fear. I mean, look what fear has done to our nation. All right. Now, everything Satan has is a cheap imitation of what God has. So if fear has this much power, I mean, to bring a nation to its knees. Well, how much power does faith have? We have completely and totally underestimated the power of faith in God. There's no telling how far we could get. There's no telling what we could do. When, when you operate in the realm of reason, Satan will defeat you every time. Pope, what's his name? I don't even keep track of him anymore. Whatever this mope is, uh, whatever his name is, says you're no match for the devil. Well, any fool knows we're no match for the devil if we're comparing IQ to IQ, he is a supernatural being. He's a fallen angel. Not only that, he's a fallen archangel. There were only three, Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. But who's trying to go up against the devil with mind power? Oh, yeah. The, uh, the mentalists. You don't even hear about those people anymore. That's how successful they were. Christian science. You, you, you don't even know where there's a Christian science building, except for the one downtown, which nobody goes to. We don't come up against Satan with our minds. See, when you operate by the mind, you are limited to your IQ, and you are limited to, to your ability. But 
And, and Satan will defeat us every time when we operate in the realm of the natural. Satan will defeat us every time when we operate in the realm of the mind. But if we will replace operating by the mind with operating by the spirit, we will defeat him every time. He is automatically a defeated foe because Jesus made an open show and spectacle of him on Calvary's cross. Is that Colossians 3.10? He is already defeated. So I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to do what I'm trying to do by the mind. Then that would make me like other men. But I'm not like other men because I'm going by what God has said. First, the written word of God, and after that, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes he's never spoken to me in an audible voice. Uh, sometimes he speaks to me in my spirit man. Sometimes it's just an impression. But I have learned to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And as I've gotten older, I have learned to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit of God immediately and not delay because that's where the power is. He leads us beside the still waters. He leads us into the green pastures. So it won't be but a matter of weeks and I will stand right there and I will preach again in a debt-free church. But we didn't get here by the mind. We got here by follow, and again, we didn't print it, we didn't borrow it. The people, the good people of Faith Christian Center gave it, and they can't get what they don't have. So they had it. And I don't see anybody out there in the parking lot with a cup. I don't see anybody, you know, thumbing to church or thumbing home from church. So they had it. Above and beyond, they had it. So they're blessed by the Lord, blessed by God. All right. So I rehearsed all of that to say, don't stay in the realm of the natural and do what you do or do what you can do in the natural. Now, don't, don't turn into one of those Pentecostal weirdos. And I know I'm hard on Pentecostals. But the, the full gospel church I grew up in, you know, they were technically Pentecostal, but they were weirdos. They were businessmen. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You have no idea. Sue and I went to the 75th anniversary of that church, and the pastor rented Ford Field, and he had the dinner catered out by an, the best outfit in America out of Chicago. Who has this kind of money? And we went there, and I mean, I'm talking about businessmen, all, all kinds of colors, but businessmen. So any time I've ever been around any spooky, super spiritual, weird people, they're always the brokest people in the county. Fred Price used to teach that Satan ruined the high churches. What do you mean high churches? Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian. Satan ruined the high churches with intellectualism 
But Satan ruined the low churches. What do you mean low churches? You know, like Baptists, all the Pentecostal denominations. He ruined the low churches with emotionalism. See, so you go to the fancy church, they're intellectuals. You know, typically a lot of them, most of them, they're lost. You go to the low churches, they're emotional, and they don't have two nickels to rub together. So whether it's intellectualism, what does intellectualism do? Intellectualism in the high churches robs them of the word of God because they think they're too smart for the word of God because they believe in Darwin, they believe in Gaia, they believe in climate change, all that cool stuff. And they don't teach and preach and believe the word of God. They got no power. But then in those low churches, it's emotionalism. And emotionalism, let me tell you what emotionalism is. Somebody might say, I don't know about Pastor Gene, man. You know, he's just kind of cold. Well, I'd rather be cold and rich than uh, <laughs> warm and broke. Right. <laughs> I'm teaching the Word of God here. So, emotionalism is a substitute. I'll tell you what it is. It's a placebo to help people feel better about their lousy situation. In other words, you know, I don't have anything, like Sarah Palin would say, I don't have a you-know-what, I don't have a pot to you-know-what in. So, so I go down to church, and we, we whoop, and we hang from the chandeliers, and we dance, and we run around, we do all this stuff, and we got no fruit. Can you see it? Yes. Emotionalism is a placebo for a faith that is empty and void produces nothing one day I was riding my one of my Harleys from Phoenix to Palm Springs you know and it's desert and you could you look up and you see the signs it's going to rain and so I mean a man has started coming down and because there's hardly anything out there in the desert, I had to ride quite a ways to find a bridge over overpass so I could get there, stop, and wait it out. Because when it rains in the desert, it doesn't rain a long time. You know, it's going to rain a little bit, 15, 20, 25 minutes, it's going to quit. So I waited it out. And then it stopped raining. I got back on the bike, and I'm riding. See, <clears throat> they, they tell me to wear a mask. Why would I wear a mask if I didn't wear a helmet? So anyway, I'm riding, and, uh, and later, when I stopped for gas, I called Sue, and I said, you just can't believe the desert after it rains. You can't believe it, because you think there's nothing there, but there is something there. There's seed in, in that God-awful, sandy soil, because when the rain hits it, things start blooming. And, and literally, 
you could see stuff blooming. Even, even the saguaro were blooming. What do they call that? Prickly pear. Stuff was blooming. And the aroma. There's nothing like the smell of the desert after a rain. Why? Because the seed is there, but when the water hits it, it begins to germinate. It begins to bloom. It begins to do something. So when you have a life where you just come to church and you hear the word of God, but you're not confessing the word of God, when you, when you live a life and you come to church and you hear the word of God, but you're not taking action on the word of God, that seed is dormant. Now the seed knows its power. The seed knows what to produce. A, 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 a scripture on healing will produce healing. A scripture on prosperity will produce prosperity. A sermon on healing will produce healing. A sermon on prosperity will produce prosperity. But if you don't do anything with the seed, it lies dormant. And I think part of what is happening to God's people is they don't know how to pray. And even if they learn some things about prayer, they get done praying, then they walk out and they negate their prayer with words of unbelief. Right. I listened to the message I referred to last Wednesday night. I listened, in fact, I listened to it. Sue and I listened to it on the way home from church last Wednesday night, and he just happened to be at that place. It was in Graham, Texas. It was in Graham, Texas. Kenneth Hagin uh, used to fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays, not because the Lord told him. It was just his habit. And I think it was a Tuesday. He's in Graham, Texas, and he's, he's not going to be eating, so he spends the noon hour at the church, and he's down by the front, and he was uh, down toward the stage where the pulpit was, and he read the book of Mark, and he gets all done, 16 chapters, he gets all done with the book of Mark, and he's laying there on the carpet, and he's just meditating on the 16th chapter. And the Lord said to him, did you notice in chapter 11 that the word say is used three times and the word believe is used once and dad Hagen sat up got his bible said no 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 I didn't notice that I didn't notice that and he opened his bible back up to Mark 11 and there it is and Jesus say and Jesus answering saith unto them have faith in God for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall Say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith, believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So he used the word say three times, and he used the word believe once, and God told him, my people are not primarily missing it in their believing. They're missing it in their saying. So he told that, Egan, you're going to have to do three times as much teaching on saying as you are doing teaching on believing. And if you go back and watch on the app, August 26th in this series, a lot of what the Lord taught me about prayer in February of 2018 is saying. Saying the word of God. Not just saying the word of God, doing what he said in Mark eleven twenty four, I believe I receive. Say what the word says, and I believe I receive. 
All right. Now, you could be here tonight and be a skeptic. I just don't believe that. Well, it was just January of 2018. The Lord told me to quit fooling around and get this all paid off. And we owed $5.27 million. And I'm a faith guy. But if the Lord had told me, and apparently I let go of some stuff. Apparently I wasn't doing a good job because it was only the next month in February of 2018. He told me, he said, you're letting go of things. Now, I always had a prayer list, but I never carried it with me. So now I, I have a prayer list and I carry it with me when I pray. I don't let go of anything. And it doesn't come off the list until I have it. And then I'm walking down that road in the cold February morning and he laid it out for me. He told me how to pray. Somebody could say, well, I don't believe that. Whatever, dude. I don't believe I have to do that. You know, God bless. I just don't think I have to, I don't, I don't think I have to tithe. I don't think I have to pray. I don't think, you know, whatever. Well, see, this is, uh, this is what makes the differences in life. It's what makes the differences in life. Because a man is what he does. A woman is what she does. And if we will, and if you don't believe me, go home tonight. Open up Mark 11, John 14, John 16. He taught us how to pray. But how many people are praying according to the instruction manual? We want to do like I do the guy at BMW. You know, I've got whatever it is, latest, greatest, I don't want to read the book. And so it was doing something, chiming something, a, a, a thing on the dashboard, whatever. I don't know what it was. I took a picture of it. I texted it to him. I said, what's that? And that's the way we want to do church and God and the things of God. See? And he answered me and I thought, oh yeah, of course. But take time to read the book. I got enough to do. I don't want to do that. But we can't do that with the word of God. We can't do that with prayer, we can't delegate prayer. Well, pastor's praying. <laughs> well, that's doing me a lot of good, but I don't know what it's doing for you. So whatever time we set aside, we need to commit to a time and be faithful to that time. But here's my point. If you're not getting regular and consistent answer to prayer, you're obviously not doing it right and you need to learn how to pray. If you're not getting miracles, at least occasionally, you're not praying correctly or you're not praying. And I realize probably there's only a handful here tonight offended by this, but you understand, Sue says they could hire me to empty churches because, you know, I could go, I could go into most churches on a Wednesday night and talk like this and people would really be upset because... They get offended when, when you claim God heard you and God answered you. That's really offensive to them. In fact, they put Jesus to death for that. The charge, the charge that put him to death was he called God his father. And that's what we're doing all the time here. He's our father. He is as much, watch it now. <laughs> he is as much my father as he was Jesus' father. He is as much 
your father as he was Jesus' father. And people haven't seen it. They have not perceived it. And you cannot walk in what you cannot see. You have to see it in order to possess it. And the way we see is by taking God at his word. So I am saying to you tonight, faith will lead you where reason cannot walk. Faith will allow you to vacation where reason will not allow you to vacation. Faith will allow you to drive what reason will not allow you to drive. Faith will allow you to live in what reason will not allow you to live in. Faith has got to have who knows how much more power than fear because fear is of Satan and faith is of God. Fear is a satanic imitation of faith. But a year ago tonight, none of us could have comprehended the power of fear. But we see it now. And whatever power fear has, faith has much, much, much more power than that. Faith will take you to places in life where reason cannot take you. Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 817-561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.